Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, October the 18th, 2022. It is currently 1043 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, if you've been with us, if you've been paying attention, you know that we have started what I am calling one of the most important series I have ever taught, one of the most important series maybe that I've ever studied, and that that is the series that we are doing on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Such an important subject, such an important doctrine. It is critical to understanding justification properly. It is it is essential to understanding the Christian life properly. We have to understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. And I will argue that many within the evangelical world who will tell you they believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, they would argue that they believe that we are saved by grace and not by works. They would argue that the Roman Catholic system is false. Many of those who would say all of those things and argue all of those things without even knowing it ultimately destroys the gospel because they do not understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. So on one in one way, they're, they're saying all the right words. Oh, we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. But then they undermine those very words by saying things that demonstrate that they are mixing law and gospel. They're not properly distinguishing between the two. So this is a very important series I have, I have begged and pleaded for people to listen to all of it, to pay attention, to ask questions, to take notes, because I really, really, really want people, if, look, even at the end, if you disagree and go, you know what, I don't think there's any, we don't need to distinguish between law and gospel. Oh, that's a bunch of garbage. Even if you come to the conclusion that it's all wrong and you never listen to me again, that's perfectly okay. I'm just asking you, to stay to at least listen to the entire study and struggle with all of the issues that are will be brought up and then you can say nope I disagree but you can't I, I just don't like when people reject something without actually doing the study I don't like when people reject an idea or argue but they they won't do the study they won't actually engage in the study it's like no here's my idea oh I'm gonna just grab random verses by doing cross references and tell you that you're wrong at least do the study for your own, for your own advancement spiritually. And it'll be advantageous to you for your own benefit, because you will be looking at a very important a theological issue. And it is October, right? It is October. This is the, the month that Christians should take some time to remember the, well, the entire Protestant Reformation, the whole idea of being justified by grace not by works, being declared righteous by faith, not by works, the idea of an imputed righteousness, all of the major important doctrines that came out of the Protestant Reformation. So this is a great time of year to focus on the proper distinction between law and gospel. And you know what I love to do, right? I obviously love to give you my teaching, and I love to to talk about things, but I, I also love to consider the teaching of other individuals. I whether we agree or disagree, I loved it. Like we could be studying, you know, we could be studying anything. It, it could be a book of the Bible, it could be Isaiah, it could be Amos, it could be anything. And I'll go find random sermons 
on the same passage of scripture, just so that we'll hear a different perspective. Oh, yes, sometimes I may disagree, but I like that challenge. So I woke up this morning, and even before I got out of bed, I just reached over, grabbed my iPad, went to the Sermons 2.0 app, typed in law and gospel, and hit play. And as soon as they hit play, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop right there. We're going to use that today. So I've grabbed that sermon, Law and Gospel Part 1. It uh, was a part of a conference. Uh, the The date of Part 1 was somewhere in 2022. I don't have it in front of me right now because I, I took the other iPad back downstairs where I was listening to it on. And I, I made it about four minutes, five minutes into it. And I stopped right there. And I'm like, you know what? Let's back this up to about the three-minute, 15-second mark because the first part is about kind of uh, for their conference, they're talking about parking and just a lot of housekeeping issues. I, I didn't want to waste our time with that. So I jumped right into the, and the reason I went to the three minute, 15 second mark is he's getting ready to give a quote, a quote from Martin Luther. And if you've been listening to our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel, this quote is going to sound very, 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 very familiar. And if you looked at our um, PDF file, on Law and Gospel. I believe this is the quote at right at the beginning of the PDF file that was created by one of our listeners. So this is a very famous quote by Martin Luther it, signifying or indicating the significance, the importance of understanding the proper distinction between law and gospel. I don't know what's going to be said in this message because remember when we review messages, I don't like to listen to them first, right? because then this comes across as rehearsed and becomes more of a performance art than what it's supposed to be. Hey, I want to hear other teaching on law and gospel to challenge what I'm teaching, to supplement what I'm teaching. And if I'm going to listen to it, why not turn on the microphone and listen to it with people all around the world together so that we can all be challenged and that you can then engage this, and you can talk to me about it by emailing me, newsif at yahoo.com. You can talk about it in the Discord channel. And then we, it's kind of like we continue to work together. I always love to, I love to see teaching, and I love to see the church as a group of people trying to figure out the truth together, right? We're working through it together. And, uh, and so I love, I, isn't that amazing that whatever subject you're studying, right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're studying 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It doesn't matter. You can grab an app like the Edify Christian Podcast app, Sermon.net, uh, their app, or Sermons 2.0 app, and you can just type in the passage, type in the subject, and boom, you have podcasts and sermons, and just to supplement, and, and you can just kind of do a deep dive into hearing how Christians around the world handle that subject. That is amazing that we have that ability in 2022. Isn't it amazing? But you know what's sad? Even though we have that ability, Christians are more biblically and theologically illiterate than maybe at any time in church history, meaning we don't use what we have been given. So we, we have a, a, a couple of people do this in our Discord channel. We have a, a kind of a sub-channel there just called, I think it's called Podcast and Sermons. And I've challenged people just Post whatever you're listening to. Just post whatever. And I love that people will post what they're listening to. And what I really love is like, I'll be studying, we'll be doing something on my podcast, studying something, and then they will post in the Discord channel a, another sermon on the same subject. And I love to see that because that means they've listened to me and now they're exploring other sermons on the subject. And I think that's, 
That's how we're challenged to see and hear different perspectives. So let's consider some additional teaching on the subject of the proper distinction between law and gospel. This was preached at a conference somewhere. <laughs> okay, I don't know where. I don't. I, I didn't write down all of that information. Uh, but let's. Uh, he's about to. Right now, the person speaking is uh, introducing the speaker, and he's about to give us a quote, a very famous quote from Martin Luther. And you're already familiar with this if you've been listening to our series. But here we go. Um, wonderful. Well, as you noticed on the, on the uh, registration page, um, the statement from Martin Luther, that whoever knows well the art of distinguishing law and gospel, him place at the head and call him a doctor of Holy Scripture. And certainly that's what we're going to be talking about this weekend is the key distinction between the law and the gospel and the difference that it makes all over the place in our life and ministry and knowledge of God in Christ. And I'm really thankful to introduce my friend, Mike Abendroth. Um, Mike is, has his Master of Divinity from the Master Seminary in 1996. I was still in punk bands in 1996. Um, that was a while ago. Um, his demon from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And you may know him online, no, no Compromise Radio. Does anyone listen to No Compromise Radio? Some, all right, yeah. So um, encouraging, always encouraging stuff. Mike's uh, pastor of Bethlehem uh, Bible Church in Massachusetts. He's been out here now three times ministering. Yeah, the first time was in the goat field. We are only the best for our guests. Goat fields, we, it's a test to see if you, you know, if you're committed. And shorts, too. Reformed Baptist preaching shorts. It was, it was 2020 was a crazy year. It was a, it was a crazy year. Uh, but Mike has really thought a lot about this topic. Even in the email that went out, should have gone out to those of you who registered. You see his recent blog series at Heidel Blog. He's got some other publications coming out that we'll maybe talk about in the Q&A. But just an encouraging uh, brother who will, is here to tell us about Jesus, smile while he does it, and encourage us uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't I... Uh, Open us in prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Mike. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for bringing us together this evening, and we pray that for this entire seminar, that the blessing and help and power of your Spirit would attend it. We pray for our brother Mike as he teaches and ministers to us. We ask that you would give him boldness and clarity and and the uh, encouragement of your Spirit and the help of your Spirit to preach and teach and explain your word. We pray, our Father, that you would give us ears to hear. We pray you would give us mental clarity to understand the distinctions that you've given us that are so vital, that we would rightly know you, that we would rightly be assured of what you've promised in your word, and that we might faithfully minister and evangelize others. We ask, our Father, that you would continue to build your church even through this seminar, and may we, may we finish our time this weekend rejoicing at the great Savior we have in our Lord Jesus. And we come to you and pray to you in his holy name. Amen. Thanks. You guys going to bring a bigger one? Okay, thank you. They were taking my board away, and you know I, why I want to have a board to write upon? <clears throat> Is because remember R.C. Sproul, uh, I think it's been a few years now since he's been in glory, he would write on a chalkboard with chalk. Anyone who ever watched R.C. Sproul, you had to love the chalkboard. You had to. It was just so awesome. It was so cool. It was so cool uh, just because it, it felt, I don't know, even, even I guess at that time schools were still using chalkboards and chalk, but it just, 
I, I don't know. It just from a te- from a preaching perspective, it seemed interesting. I, I would, I, in some ways, I would love to do that. If you if you've ever watched me preach at my at my church, I'm always walking to the wall. Like there, my pulpit's right here, and right behind me is a wall. And I'm always walking up to the wall, putting my hands on the wall. Like okay, on this side, almost like I'm writing on the wall. But I I could never use a chalkboard and write because nobody would literally no one would be able to read my handwriting because well it's it's bad. It's bad. As as someone told me, I have the handwriting of a blind medical doctor on drugs. Yeah, that's that's my handwriting. But okay, but it was cool. So you if you if you're not familiar with RC Sproul and him writing on the chalkboard, well, you missed out. But um, yeah, here we go. Glenn Beck does the same thing, obviously, not from a biblical and theological perspective. But yeah, he he's kind of famous for doing that as well. Here we go. Uh, if you're too young to know what that is, you can just look at your iPhone, right? Just like Tonka trucks. Kids don't know about Tonka trucks anymore, so they just look on their iPhone. This is a Tonka truck. Anyway, one time I was at St. Andrews. He had a class that R.C. was teaching, and he wrote down some Latin words on that chalkboard. And so I got the anointing, and I thought, I want to make sure I pass that anointing on to other people, and once in a while I'll write a few things. Oh, that's a nice one. Thank you very much. Tonight we want to talk about law gospel, and then tomorrow law gospel as well, and then I have the privilege of preaching this Sunday morning uh, here, Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, and then Sunday night, Ecclesiastes 3, and we're going to try to make it kind of fun tonight. Maybe we'll laugh a little bit. Uh, I hope you're encouraged and that you learn. Uh, This is one of those topics where you think, is it kind of esoteric? Is it just kind of floating around there? Is it practical at all? Let me give you a few illustrations of how practical this is, how important this is, and then you'll probably pay attention more. I mean, it is a Friday night. You worked hard. You came out uh, for the conference. Uh, A side note, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I hope you know you're a Christian because you believe in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You believe in the resurrected Jesus, but also you're a new creation in Christ, right? Would the old you before you were saved want to come out to a theological discourse on a Friday night at 6.30? I mean, I think about the appetites that God has given us, right? We now love what we used to hate and hate what we used to love. And so one of the things I love about conferences, it just reminds me, oh, God has changed me. Yes, he's changed me in the courtroom. I'm no longer guilty. I'm righteous. But he's also changed me internally as the Spirit of God dwells in me. And I think, I love to go to Bible teaching conferences. I love to learn the Bible. I love to hear preaching. And so I'm glad to be able to be the preacher. Okay, what I'm going to do first of all... All right, now you know... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm glad we're, we're getting ready to learn a proper distinction between law and gospel. I just wish people would make a proper distinction on when you say someone is changed, what do you mean by that? So you quoted that we're a new creature, and then he talked about practical change. Well, that verse doesn't say you're a new creature, you just have some new appetites. That verse says you're a new creature, old things are passed away, all things have become new. Well, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Obviously, that verse can't be speaking about that practically because then the old nature would be gone. It's like, it's funny. In a conference where they're trying to make a proper distinction between law and gospel, they're not making a proper distinction uh, between that verse. All right. Um, it, I, it, it drives me cra- crazy. Um, it, it really does. Second Corinthians 5.17, where's my, I was trying to, I was going to look it up online, but I'll just grab my Bible right here. 
I'll just look it right here. I may look it up because we can then look up all the different translations, but I don't want to spend hours on this, but I've talked so much about this. All right, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, I think if you just look at the context, try to figure out what's going on here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, just let's just think about this practically. We, it doesn't require, I don't know why this is so controversial, but it just drives me crazy. So Christians constantly teach this. Hey, look, everyone, if you're a Christian, you're new, the old is gone. Boom. But, 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 but you still have a sinful nature. Well, wait a minute. That means the old isn't gone. All things haven't become new if I still have a sinful nature. So immediately you have to go, well, wait a minute, that verse can't be, that can't be saying what it appears to be saying. Let me make it very clear. I am a new creature. The old is gone and everything is new in my position before Christ because the imputed righteousness is mine. I would love to say that, oh, all of my appetites are new and everything is wonderful and everything's great. But you don't tell me you still have old appetites. You still don't have old desires. At times you don't read the Bible. At times you don't desire preaching. You don't desire church. You don't desire God's word. That shows up in your life frequently. You become apathetic and complacent and cold to the things of God. You're constantly in flux spiritually. Sometimes the things you want to do, you don't do. And the things you don't want to do, those are the things you end up doing. And sometimes you want to do the wrong things and you don't even want to do the right things. That is the reality of the Christian life. While we walk around saying, hey, everyone, everyone, how do you know you're saved? You're new, you're new, you're new. Well, the verse, if the, if we take the verse literally and talk about it practically, well, then there would be no old nature because the verse says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Not all, the old is not all gone and not all things have become new other than in my position. So you say, well, what, what's going on here? Paul is saying how we should view other people. Someone who claims to be a Christian, I view them as a new creature. I view them as the old is completely gone and all is new because they are now considered a saint. They are now considered holy and righteous by faith. Practically, look, he's writing to a church where, guess what? Not everything was new. There were sinners, sinners. Look at 1 Corinthians. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you, are you, I mean, he's writing to a church, the church of Corinth. You can go all the way back to 1 Corinthians. But even in 2 Corinthians, the church has hundreds of problems. They're still sinning. They're getting drunk at the Lord's table. They're, they're selfish. They're not doing church discipline. When they do church discipline, then I don't want to be forgiving. They're divided. They're carnal. They're fleshly. That, that's the reality. So how do we take a verse written to a church that is clearly carnal and fleshly, Paul yet refers to them as believers, and then say, hey, guess what? When you become a Christian, you're a new creature. Oh, the old is gone. Everything is new. It doesn't work that way. You are new positionally. The old is gone positionally. I got to really stress that out, right? I know it's irritating, but I have to do it on purpose. When, when in Christ, guess what? I'm not a sinner. In Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I'm obedient. In Christ, I'm holy. But we always preach it like it's true practically. And then we, we say it, hey, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. All things have become new. And then five seconds later, however, you're still going to sin. However, you're not going to be perfect. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said the old is gone. 
Why is that so? I don't understand. So now I'm getting really, I was all excited. Oh, this is going to be a, a distinction about law and gospel. And they just can't, they, and right here, they're not making a proper distinction about, I don't know. What does it mean that I'm a new creature and the old is gone? We need to make a distinction between my position and my practice. What I am in the flesh, I'm still a sinner with a sinful nature, and it is not gone, and I'm not completely new. The old is still very much present, unless you believe in the eradication of the old nature. And if you believe in the eradication of the old nature, then you have to believe that we can be sinless. Not just sinning less, but sinless. We can completely stop sinning, which we obviously don't. All right. That, that took us way too long, but let's continue. Balls, I'm going to give you my email. And if you would like to email me about your pastor and ask personal questions, I'll delete it. But if you want to email me for my notes today and tomorrow, I'll send you the notes, but I won't send them until after the conference. Because if I give you the notes now, your heads are just down and you're not going to pay attention. So if you want all the quotes, and I'm going to quote a lot of people, they'll all be in the notes. I'll send them to you. The only downside of me doing this is sometimes I'll read a longer quote and you just have to bear with me, but you'll get the documents, the Word documents, if you'll email me. So it's super simple. Email, I wish I could make a chalkboard sound, mike at nocompromiseradio.com. You ever spell in front of people and you kind of forget what you're writing? So there it is, Mike, Mike at nocompromiseradio.com. Email me. Uh, it might take me about a week or so to do it because I'm technically on vacation. Fair? Fair enough? Mike at nocompromiseradio.com. Let me give you a few illustrations to convince you that this is a very practical topic. Someone comes to you, they're enslaved in sexual sin, an unbeliever, and they say... I know God's going to judge me. I've read the Bible. I can't seem to extricate myself from this sexual sin. And must I stop sinning sexually with my partner, homosexual, heterosexual, in order for God to save me? What would you say? That's question one. What if you were in Dublin, for instance, like I was, and you saw a man preaching on a box, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn or burn. Is that the gospel? Is it truth? Something, something more should be added? Uh, what if a visitor comes to your church and they listen to the sermon and you talk to them afterwards and they said, hmm, what Christianity is at this church is, what would they say it is? Moralism? Therapy? Psychology? Something about the Lord Jesus? What's the most important part of the Ten Commandments? This is a legit question, not, not, not rhetorical. What's the most important part of the Ten Commandments? Anybody? First one? It's got to be first for a reason, don't you think? The most important part of the Ten Commandments are the prologue. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then comes the first commandment. Understanding law gospel will help you with the first question, with the second question or illustration of that one as well. How about if you're on your deathbed? Ever been on your deathbed? Close to it? If you went to the hospital to visit someone, two months ago I went and visited a pastor. He's only got a couple months to live. 
What would you tell somebody on their deathbed, a Christian person? I guess you could say something like this. How's your prayer life? Maybe a good question. Have you been evangelizing the nurses? Nothing wrong with evangelizing the nurses. What would you tell them if they said, I'm, I'm afraid to die, I know I shouldn't be, but I'm concerned? What, what might you say to them? Well, I haven't given you many answers so far, but when I was in the hospital 10 months ago thinking I could possibly die uh, from respiratory failure, someone said to me something like this. Think law gospel. Mike, Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He was raised for you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he always keeps his word. You can trust him. You like that? I loved it. I fell asleep right after that. It was wonderful. These all have to do with law and gospel. How do we minister in the church? How do we grow? How do we say no to sin and yes to righteousness? How do I say I'd like to love my wife more and be selfless more and be selfish less? This is all related to law gospel. Every scenario that I gave, if you know law gospel better, you'll be better in evangelism. You'll be better when it comes to marriages. What are those little things that your wife gives you men? They're a little yellow post-it, and what are they called? You need, you need to get things done. And she gives you a what? What kind of list? A honey-do honey list. You know what I got to say to that? Law. <laughs> it's just brute law. Law. Here's another law list. I mean, we're going to start a revolution here at this church. There's going to be this gospel list. You're the best husband. You're the best wife. I love you. I can't believe you've been given to me by the Lord God. That kind of thing. We just live in a law world. Your conscience is law. Your work is law. When you show Now, I love those questions, and I almost wanted to stop after each question and us take them apart. I would challenge you to go back and write those questions down because law and go- the proper distinction between law and gospel is so critical to how you see so many issues. Look, you either think... With a law, through a law lens or through a gospel lens. You live your Christian life either looking at things from a law perspective or a gospel perspective. And you may want to tell yourself, no, gospel, God. You will tell yourself that you're living your life and looking at things from a gospel perspective. But I will tell you, our natural bent, our nature is law-based. That is natural. For, gospel seems odd. It, se- it seems like a compromise. It seems like liberalism. It seems like, no, it can't be that easy. No, 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 no. You got to do this. We always got to, whenever the gospel is preached, someone will say, but, but, but you can't, no, no, no. Someone's got it. But no, 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 no. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do this. We can't, we can't, it's almost like we can't allow the gospel to be preached and it's full sweetness. Because we've got to come along and throw in the bitterness of the law. We, we can't allow the gospel to stand by itself. We, we feel like, no, 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 no. But, 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 you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have, okay, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But, 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 if you truly believe, you'll do this and this and this. We've got to throw in some law. We've got to bring in our honey-do list. We've got to do that. Because the gospel makes us uncomfortable. We feel like we have to earn it. We have to prove it. We have to demonstrate it. 
by what we do, by what we do. And so what we tend to do is we point everyone to law. We don't point people to the finished work of Christ. In fact, for many people, when when people look for assurance of salvation, we don't point them to Jesus did it, completed it, finished it. His righteousness is sufficient. No, 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 no. We're going to point to you do this and you do this, you do this, or we may say something well, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. We will point to a, that. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. The old is gone, all is new. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me then then I have to basically be perfect. Then we'll go, no, no, you don't have to be perfect. But, 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 there's got to be something. So you, we, we no longer point people to Christ. We point people to self. And if you don't see the utter theological damage and spiritual damage that ultimately will do to someone's life, it will leave them in a little bit of despair. Um, Sunday, after preaching on law and gospel, someone was talking about their their struggles and their frustrations and and how like you know you know I try I try and, and you know just sometimes I, I don't know am I trying enough and and everything was about what they do they do they do they do they do they do you know sometimes I don't know how do I know I'm saved and 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 and, and the woman was expressing you know you could you could hear the frustration and the and the fatigue and and that she's tried so hard and I said stop looking to yourself look to Christ how do I know I'm saved look to what Christ did look to him stop looking at yourself stop looking at yourself and law makes you look at yourself so um those questions were good, and and it and I we do need a revolution, like in a, a serious way. We need a revolution. We need a reformation, where we have gospel-minded Christians, gospel-minded perspectives, a gospel-based discipleship, a gospel-based Christian life, not a law-based. And I don't think a lot of people would even know what to do with a, a gospel-based one. Let's see what he's going to say. Up to work, do they give you a bonus for doing nothing? I can't believe I said nothing. I am from Nebraska, so once in a while, the hick from Galilee comes out. But we love Galilee, so that's fine. How about assurance? Okay, I'm going to back that up just a little. Because he was talking about the honeydew list, and then he kind of made a point there. Let's, let's listen. That kind of thing. We just live in a law world. Your conscience is law. Your work is law. When you show up to work, do they give you a bonus for doing nothing? can't believe I said nothing. I am from Nebraska, so once in a while, the hick from Galilee comes out. But we love Galilee, so that's fine. How about assurance? How do you know you're a Christian? Law gospel will help. Because we tend to just do the law side. Do you pray enough? I mean, that's the one that we can kill people on all the time with assurance. How was your prayer life this week? And it's, do I pray enough? Do I fast enough? Do I sing enough? Do I give enough? Do I serve enough? All related to law gospel. So if you need encouragement. Do you study enough? Do you love God enough? Do you love others enough? Are you holy enough? Do you read your Bible enough? And it's just funny. A lot of people will argue with more of like a law-based mentality that won't even realize they're arguing a law-based mentality. But it's sometimes what I love to do is flip the switch. Oh, 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 you want to play the game? Okay, all right, well, tell me. How much did you read your Bible this week? How much did you study this week? How much did you, how many sermons did you listen to? What did you do? What? And when they start, and they don't have answers, but they'll say, they'll say, but, 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 
but, but, but as long as there's a change, and then they'll point to something that they do right. The point is we all fall short in a million different ways. So when you start pointing to actions to somehow give assurance, well, your assurance is going to be, well, you're sure you're, you're going to be as this is, this is how it works. This is the game that's played. You will have assurance when you only focus on those things that give you assurance and you ignore everything else in your life that says sinner, failure, sinner, failure. So sometimes a law-based mentality creates a self-righteousness where you have to pretend to be more godly than you are, where a gospel-based mentality will make you acknowledge and see your sin and not pretend otherwise and say, I know I'm a sinner. I fall short here. I fall. I think gospel allows you to be more honest and open, even if that makes people uncomfortable. But you're like, my assurance is not in me. It's in Christ. It's in his finished work. It's in his righteousness. It's not an infused one. It's an imputed one, which is the entire reason the Protestant Reformation took place in the first place, because of the, the argument between an infused and an imputed righteousness. Right? So let's continue. With assurance, you need encouragement for evangelism. You need encouragement for how to listen to sermons. If you teach the Bible, how to do that. How about this for parenting? And then we'll get into the session for tonight. How do you parent if you're a parent? Here's how I parent. I told you to look people in the eyes when they say hello. Be still when daddy's preaching. No running in the sanctuary after the service. No elbows on the table. Chew your food with your mouth closed. When you see a grandma at the church getting into a car, you go over there and open up the door for her. When you get to church, you don't just say hi to people. You ask them a question. Think of a question to ask every adult. Don't cross crosswalks without stopping. I mean, I've got all kinds of things, but my bent is all law for for them to do something. Is there anything wrong with any? And that's true. I think that's how we do church. It's law, 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 law. That's how we parent. Law, 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 law. That's why many Christian teens just think Christianity is nothing more than moralism. It's nothing more than morality. Do this, don't do this, 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 do this, don't. Many, many people think that's all Christianity is, is a list of do's and don'ts that Christians themselves fall short of. And we do fall short of the do's and don'ts. You know why? Because we all fall short of the law. That's why we have to be saved by gospel. And that's why I can't look to the law for assurance because the law is only there to condemn me. And when you give people the law for assurance, it's insanity. The assurance must come from the gospel. All right. Yeah. You can see I'm passionate about this subject. All right. I'll stay calm. Let's let him do the teaching today. Any of those statements? No. But there's everything wrong if there's only those statements. So I don't know if you parent like I do, but I am a law parent. I would be great in the military. I would be great for, like, sports. Do this, do that. I mean, it's Nike. It's just do this. I remember one time, I have four children. They're grown now. I had one that particularly liked to hit a lot. And I was almost going to give her gender away. <laughs> and I said to her, I, brought, I said, go, go get on daddy's bed. That signal for you're going to be disciplined. And so she went in there and She's waiting. I'm waiting. It's the waiting that's the hardest part, right? Who's saying that? You pagan. See, they know it right off the bat. You ask them 
what, what's chapter 19 of the London Baptist Confession? Nobody knows. You give a quote, and they just said, Tom Petty. It was just knee-jerk. And so you send him to the room. I'm just kidding, by the way. You send him to the room. I walk in. Daddy's not mad at you because I don't want to be mad at him. And then I said, you know, Daddy loves you. I provide everything for you. You know, everything in your room I bought for you gladly. I take you to the best vacations. Remember, we went overseas to those vacations, the best vacations. We have the most fun. Who on this block has more fun than you and me and mom and your brothers and sisters? I said, I make sure you go to the best doctors in all of central Massachusetts. And matter of fact, I take you to the best pastor pretty much in all the world. (laughs) And then she looked at me and she said, so no hitting, right, Dad? It was interesting. Of course I should tell her no hitting, and these are the consequences. But this session tonight and the sessions tomorrow, I hope to make it super practical. We're going to talk about what law is, biblically, what the gospel is, biblically, how we don't want to conflate the two, mix the two. Remember, some people say if you put the two together, it's kind of not law and it's not gospel. It's a gospel, right? It's this kind of amorphous thing that's blended together. Personally, I think when we mix it together, we, we erase gospel and it ends up just being law. Personally, I don't think it becomes neither. I think it just becomes a, a, weird, a weird mutated form of law, all right? But it, it is, I want you to think of that illustration he say, said about his daughter when he went to quote-unquote discipline her. In a sense, he gave her gospel or he reminded her of the gospel, all that he had done for her. I wonder if your Christian life, would you be more motivated in your Christian life? Would you, would you be more motivated? Would it produce a, a better internal change in your Christian life to be motivated by the gospel promises than, hey, you better do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, or you're not saved. Do this, do this, prove that you're saved. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, or, or judgment. Do this, do this, or you're going to be condemned. Do this, do this, you're going to be church disciplined. Do this, do this, you're going to be public humiliated. Do this, do this, do this, or you're not even worthy. You're not even a good Christian. Do, I wonder if, Law truly changes us internally or just creates behavioral modification. And I wonder if gospel promises and the gospel is the thing that would literally motivate us, not externally, but motivate us internally. You can tell me what you think. So you can have some categories. Luther said it's important. Beza said it's important. Calvin said it's important. And they're just men. But when you read the Bible, you'll see Paul thinks it's important. Jesus thinks it's important. And this church wants you to know, uh, the leadership, how does law gospel relate and and all the details that surround it. Okay, so we're going to talk about law gospel. I'm from New England now, so if I say lar once in a while, you just have to forget it. Lar and gospel. Uh, when I met somebody, he, I said, what do you do for a living? I first moved there 25 years ago. He goes, I'm a law officer. Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> and by the way, I'll keep my word at the end of the session. If you want to come up to me, you don't have to say thanks for the session or that was good or anything like that. But if you just come up to me and just stand in front of me, I will just look at you and say, thank you, doctor. I'll call you doctor. Remember I said that on the email, right? I will call you doctor once and once only. So tonight we're going to do... Law and Gospel, introduction. Question number one that we're going to look at tonight, what is the law? 
Now, we're thinking about biblical categories. We're not talking about civics and, and what's the law that Gavin Newsom sends, or et cetera. We're talking about biblical law. The law in the Bible commands, it demands, it accuses, it convicts, it condemns. These are all words that describe what the law I like that. The law commands, the law demands, and the law condemns. It commands, it demands, it demands, and it condemns. I, I, I like that. Commands, demands, and, and condemns. I think that that's a, that's a good way of understanding what the, whenever you're reading a passage and it's commanding you something, it's demanding something, it's condemning something. That's law. That's law, 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 law. And just think how much Christianity is that. It's commanding something, demanding something, condemning something. Law is, I think that's where we live in the Christian life. Does. The law says you're a sinner. The law says do this and live. The law says this is what I want you to do. And the one who's telling us to do that is God the creator. The God who made you says this is what I want you to do. It's a commandment. It's an imperative. It's law. Luther said, talking about the law, something that proclaims our sin and God's wrath is the proclamation of the law, however and whenever it takes place. There's a theologian named Caspar Olivianus. How many people know Caspar Olivianus? Some do. Good. You ought to read Caspar Olivianus. Uh, again, I'm from Nebraska, born in 1960, and whenever I think of Caspar, I think of Caspar the what? Friendly ghost. So I'm going to tell you, it was a cartoon, by the way, if you didn't know what that was. This is Casper the Friendly Olivianus. That's how I want you to remember it. And you have to read Casper Olivianus. He said, the law is what we are and are not to do. Namely, obey him perfectly, inwardly, and outwardly. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll just look at an illustration here. And that's true. The, the law demands that we obey him perfectly, inwardly, and outwardly. The law commands, the law demands, and the law condemns when we do not obey God perfectly, inwardly, and outwardly. Let me just go ahead and explain it to you this morning, or now, well, yeah, still this morning, fast approaching this afternoon. The law demands, it commands, it will condemn you if you do not obey God perfectly, inwardly, and outwardly. Here is the reality. You never obey God perfectly, inwardly, or outwardly. You sin every single day. You sin continually. Even, even you say, but I'm saved. I'm converted. I'm a new creature. Yes, you may be a new creature positionally, but in practice, guess what? You're just the same old sinner who continually falls short of God's law and you disobey internally and externally. God demands perfection. That's why it blows my mind when we try to point people to some level of obedience to give you assurance. How can in how can incomplete obedience be assurance? You know what incomplete obedience is? Complete disobedience. You completely disobey God because you fall short because God demands, the law demands perfect obedience internally and externally. And the law can, can it demands it, it commands it, and it condemns you for the lack of it.
That's what you have to understand about the law. And somehow law-minded people want to water down the law, minimize the law, or try to say, but, but I mean, as long as you're trying, as long as you're doing something, you can try to do something, but it doesn't mean anything because you fall short. God's, God's scripture is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You don't do that. You don't do that internally or externally. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't do that internally or externally. And be ye holy as God is holy. You don't do that externally or internally. So just those three commands, which those it commands, it demands, and it will condemn you when you fall short of those things. You are a sinner. You, and so I don't know why we walk around. We're a new creature in Christ. Older, old, old is gone and, the, and everything is new. Not practically because we fall short of just those three, 24 hours a day, seven days a week of what the law says. Galatians chapter 3, as Paul writes. Uh, By the way, in our sessions, I'm going to have lots of overlap, lots of repetition, but that's a good way to learn, and these things are related in so many different ways. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, And then it says, to perform them, or I think ESV says what at the very end, in kind of an odd sentence structure, put at the very end, to what? To do them. So that's law, doing what God commands. Now, this is very important. I want you to to see this. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you look to the law for assurance, if you look to the law, you're, you're cursed. Why? Because this is what the law says. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So why can you, why would you point to the law for assurance? Oh, you've got to have a change. You got to, how can any of that gives you assurance? Because guess what? Any change you supposedly have still is not meeting that requirement. You've got to do everything the law says. You must obey it perfectly internally and externally. You don't. So your hope has to be in the gospel, which tells you what Christ did for you and what he gave you, which is an imputed righteousness, meaning you you are declared to be righteous, even though you're not made righteous, you're declared to be righteous. It's not infused. And so guess what? You and Christ are declared to be perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient. If you have a Trinity hymnal close by or one of the handouts, I'd like you to go to your confession, 1689, and turn to chapter 19. One of the things that will help you with the London Baptist Confession, uh, or if you're Presbyterian, the Westminster, etc. Now, I I mentioned this the other night, and probably Sunday, maybe or Wednesday, what's today? Today is Tuesday. Tomorrow night at Victory Baptist Church, if everything works properly, we're going to be working on the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We may look at the uh, the article on justification, and we will look at chapters 19 and 20 on the articles of law and gospel. And it's one of those things that that's been the confession for our church. And I, I've always, I always thought that people would ask more questions 
uh, but they, they never did, which, well, we can get into, it's always a frustrating thing, but I, what, you, what you learn as a pastor is you can't just give people things to read. You literally have to take them through it because they won't. Uh, it's just it's just one of the realities. But um, yeah, I would definitely point you to the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, the article on justification, and then chapters 19 and 20 on law and gospel. Make that a time, like, you make that a focal point. Focus on that. Meditate on it. Read it. While you're doing other things, just, you know, throughout the day, just look at those three articles and you should have about a hundred questions and it may get, but it may get you thinking in this distinction between properly understanding law and gospel. Is we don't have to come up with new categories and, and new solutions to problems. They're not always right, but they're a lot more right than your favorite Christian celebrity, I'm certain. Go to chapter 19 of the law of God. Tonight we're asking the first session, what is the law and what is the gospel? Here it says in chapter 19 of the law of God, God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart. Remember, because this is pre-Moses. And a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by which he bound him with all his posterity. That's everyone. In Adam, all of us, listen, to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. Promise life upon fulfilling it. If he obeyed, there'd be no problem. And threaten death upon the breach of it. And endued him with power and ability to keep it. So God gives a law to Adam and all those who are in Adam. And the law has a positive side. If you do it, there's a reward. And there's a penalty side. If you break it, there's something going to be done to you. A positive precept and a penalty. Now look at the very center there of that same, cha- same paragraph. Personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. What would be a good acronym with those four words? What is the acronym for those four words? You can say it out loud. I thought it was interesting. Pastor Steve said even this room kind of lends itself to solemnity. Right, So we're going to try to loosen this up a little bit. A peep. It, how do I remember that? If you'd like to get to heaven on your own, you can do what Whitfield said. You can climb a rope of sand up to the moon. Or you just perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually obey God. Why would he damn you if you could perfectly obey? But your obedience has to be perfect, entire, exact, and perpetual. How, how's that working out for you? And please note, if you're going to look to your, the work or the law for assurance, it has to be perfect. It has to be complete. It has to be entire. It has to be perpetual. So like when people like, when, when we get into this argument, like, no, 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 if you're saved, you're going to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Well, if you're looking to that for assurance, you have to look for perfect work, entire obedience, complete obedience, perpetual obedience. Because if you look to your life for assurance, you're going to find out your obedience is not complete. It's not entire. It's not perpetual. It's, it's, it falls short. So how can you look to wrong obedience, incomplete obedience, not perpetual obedience, and give yourself assurance? That's the whole bizarre thing when you get into the whole lordship argument. And we're going to do some, I think we're going to do some reviews of some uh, critiques of lordship salvation. And in a minute, when you critique lordship salvation, immediately someone says, you believe in easy believism. No, this is, instead of placing this in the category of lordship or free grace or lordship and easy believism, I think we should just put this, you either are living your life uh, in the land of the law or you're living your life in the land of the gospel. I mean, you're either in the gospel camp or the law camp. 
and what we need both. But sadly, that's what it, it, uh, Christianity has almost become divided into. And most everyone's walking around in the land of the law. Hey, no, if you're saved, you will do A, B, C, D, E. And if you don't, you're not saved. Okay, so you're telling me I have to do this to be saved. Well, then what if I have to do this in order to be saved? No, 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 you'll do it. You'll, you'll do it if you're saved. But if I don't do it, I'm not saved. So therefore, I have to do it to be saved. No, no, no. You, you're saved by grace, but you have to do this because, because grace will make this change. Oh, so you believe in infused righteousness. No, no, no. I don't believe in an infused righteousness, but I have to do these things. Okay, I'll play along. I have to do these things. Now, I have to do these things. They have to be perpetual. I have to do them continually. They have to be perfect. There has to be, there can't be incomplete obedience. And if I do these perfectly complete, uh, perpetual, if I do these things this way, then they can give me assurance of salvation. The only problem is I'm not going to do those, those that, that way. So how can my failure in these, you're giving me law to prove that I'm saved, but you're telling me that my incomplete obedience to the law should give me assurance of salvation. How can my incomplete obedience to the law ever provide assurance of salvation because the law is not there to give me assurance. The law is there to condemn me. So why do lordship people say, here's the test to prove you're saved. You're giving me law to give me assurance. The law doesn't give assurance. The law gives condemnation. And if you're going to give me the list, don't do it where you grade it on a curve. It must be perpetual. It must be complete. Must be all of those things. Now, it's interesting. When I think of peeps, I thought, you know what? I'm trying to remember this because this is good for me because every time, and I'll fast forward to tomorrow a little bit, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm struggling with my assurance. Maybe I've done some sin or I'm not thinking about the Lord Jesus properly. I'm too introspective. Okay, if I'd like to stand before God based on my own doing, my own sanctification, my sanctification better be perfect, entire, exact and perpetual. Otherwise, I'm going to need someone else who came to the earth and lived. And by the way, could you describe Jesus' life on earth? Up to the cross, as he set his face to the cross. Could you describe his obedience as perfect, entire, exact, and perpetual? The answer is yes. And so I want you to try to remember, and we just try Yes, that would describe Jesus. And guess what happens in justification? His Perfect. His passive and active obedience is imputed to me, so I don't look to I don't look to my incomplete and imperfect and definitely not perpetual obedience for assurance. I look to Christ, perfect and complete for assurance. How to do it for fun on the radio? It's a peep. And by the way, what are those little things that you go to the store during Easter and you go up to the high impulse item area and they look like little chickens, but they're foamy and they've got a couple weird purple eyes that are never set right. What do we call those? We're redeeming the peeps here. Every time you go to the store and you see peeps, I just want you to blurt out perfect, entire, exact, perpetual obedience. That's what God requires of all you people who are in the fast lane with 10 items or less and you all have 20 like me, except I have only 30. Peeps has expanded, by the way, on their website to Halloween, Christmas, and Valentine's Day. They're made from sugar, corn syrup, gelatin, and food dyes. They've now expanded in flavors to grape, strawberry, vanilla, and cotton candy. And by the way, Dave Smith started an annual peep-off 
in Sacramento after contact, uh, contacting a participant in the first peep off. How many peeps can you eat? And so 255, I think, is the record in, 50, in five minutes. I always think these people are so dumb they're going to choke. You're going to die. Um, you can make peep s'mores, by the way, peep pancakes, peep brownies, peep popcorn. But my favorite thing of all is not peep she, which is, uh, looks like sushi, but it's on Rice Krispie. It's not that. And it's not peepsa, right, when you make peeps pizza out of, but it is this. Young boys, what's your name? Henry? I love that name. My grandfather was named Henry, and my dad's name was Lee Henry. Henry's a masculine name. I like that. What am I talking about? I don't know. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. Go buy some peeps and put them in the microwave and let them joust. It's peep jousting. Put a plate underneath it, though, because otherwise your mom's going to be mad. Perfect, entire, exact, perpetual obedience. I know this is not a charismatic church, but let's say it. Perfect, entire, exact, perpetual obedience. That's what God requires of all his creation. He made us. That's what he requires. That's what he wants. So please note, that's what God requires. Don't. How can you point to people's behavior as proof of salvation because that behavior would have to be perfect, entire, exact, and perpetual. It isn't. So how can you look to my failure and my sin of falling short of the law as assurance of salvation? I would have to point people not to perpetual, perfect, exact, and entire obedience, I would have to point, well, I would point them to perfect, exact, entire, and perpetual obedience, but it would be to Christ, not to themselves. What he wanted Adam to do in thought, in word, and deed, uh, with right attitudes, I could summarize it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Correct? That's law. By the way, People want to be known for their churches. I know lots of churches in New England. We're known for loving God and loving neighbor. Would that be good to do, to love God and love neighbor? But that's not what I want to be known for, is law. Whenever I see that, we're known for loving God and loving neighbor. And I just go, law, law church. (laughs) Does anybody have any good news? By the way, do we have a slogan here, Steve? Not only that. Now they would be known for law. They would be known for their in their uh, incomplete obedience to it. They would be known for their disobedience. If you want to say, as a Christian, I want to be known for this and this and this. You're going to be known for your disobedience to it. I want to be known for my godliness. I want to be known for my. No, you're going to be known for your incomplete obedience. You're going to be known for your disobedience. Because we always fall short of all of those things. <laughs> Bob? Okay, there we go. Nice. Now, if you look back at your Trinity hymnal in the back there, if you go down to number three, we're going to talk a little bit about uses of law later, but I want you not to think about kinds of law. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me read number three. Besides this law, commonly called moral, think Ten Commandments, think Adam's conscience, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several 
typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions on moral duties, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of the Reformation are by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who is furnished with power from the Father for the end abrogated and taken away. I'm going to say this several times. I want to make sure I say it again, or say it to start tonight. When I'm talking tonight about law, I'm not talking about moral, civil, and ceremonial differences. Moral law being the Ten Commandments, civil laws for Israel. How does this nation govern itself? Ceremonial, all the different things that pointed to Jesus. Those are kinds of law. You're going to hear me talk a lot about uses of law, right? How do we use the law for Christians or for non-Christians? So when you think moral, civil, moral, civil, and ceremonial, that's kinds. I won't really be talking about kinds tonight or tomorrow. I'm going to talk about uses. How is the law used? But law at its deepest level is to do. Do this and live. Kinds of law we could discuss, but I'm going to talk about uses of law. How many uses of God's law are there? God has imperatives. He's the king. He's the creator. He tells us what to do. What are the uses of the law? How many? First, second, and third. Three different kinds of uses. Let's talk about that a little bit, especially in this introductory one, so when I say this tomorrow, you'll know what they are. So the first use of the law is for unbelievers. Now, there's some difference on how we number these, but we'll just go with mine because I have the microphone. Um, Think of a mirror, and this is for unbelievers. So the unbelievers look at the law, and they see who they really are. Because compared to everybody else, they're probably pretty good, but the unbeliever looks at All right, we'll stop right there, because that's an easy place to stop. We can, we'll back it up about the 28-minute mark. 28-minute mark. We've got 37 minutes to go because we can start with the three uses of the law and the first use is to the unbeliever, all right? So we will stop there. So the main thing to take away from this is making sure you understand the definition of law and gospel, but law demands perfect obedience internally and externally. The law demands perfect, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. That's what it demands. You can't point to the law to give people assurance because it only condemns. You're, you're pointing them to the thing. You're pointing people to assurance based off their obedience to the law when the law is never meant to give you assurance. It's meant to condemn you and show you that you cannot have any assurance, but you can look to Christ. And guess what? His obedience was perfect exact, entire, and perpetual. And by faith, his passive and active obedience is imputed to my account. So how do I know I'm saved? Because of Christ, his work, his obedience, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. It's all because of him, not because of me. We're so law-based, we don't even understand that we literally destroy the gospel and the assurance and motivation that should come from the gospel by constantly focusing and pointing people to the law. All right, we will we will complete this review later this afternoon. 
Um, there's other things we need to do, but we will definitely complete this because I definitely don't want this to be, uh, I don't want to, yeah, we have to complete this before tomorrow night, before I go back to my teaching on law and gospel. So uh, if, you, if you're listening to this uh, on one of the podcast apps, please, I would challenge you to download the Church One app, Church O-N-E, that's Church O-N-E. Look for the, uh, do a search for Theology Central after you download the app. That basically turns the app into the Theology Central app. Look for our series on law and gospel, understanding law and gospel. And while we, we've already given 25 theses on the distinction, proper distinction between law and gospel, we rewrote some of them. Um, and so those go back to, I think, the 1800s. And uh, we, re- we rewrote those distinctions, those 25 theses, Please look at those and um, and listen to that. There's a PDF file. If you'll uh, look, if, I think the last live broadcast I did, Law and Gospel PDF, if you'll go to the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app and you'll click on that, you'll see that there's a PDF file. And guess what? You can look at all 25 theses and uh, the way we rewrote them and uh, you can start meditating and working on those so that you can grow in your understanding and find a proper distinction between law and gospel so that we'll stop messing up the gospel. All right, I'll stop right there. Email me your questions, your thoughts about this entire series. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And please, I beg you today, don't look to self. Don't look to what you do. Rest completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. God bless.